This morning, quickly, we will just take a few moments to look at a small aspect of what a covenant is before we break bread together. The God we worship is a God who not only makes a covenant, but he also keeps a covenant. Now, when you look at the word covenant, you will, you will realize it is more than just a promise. It's more than just an oath. A covenant is between two parties which have a binding effect on these two parties. Nothing. It's unbreakable. It's unchangeable. It's, an, it's a covenant. It's a very solemn moment. And God makes these covenants at different times. When God made a covenant with Abraham, God said this. He swore against himself saying to Abraham, I will keep my promise with you. Now can you imagine God swearing against himself because there was nothing greater than him? And now we do this in school. We swear on this one and swear on that one. God swore about on himself saying to Abraham, I am that committed when it comes to my covenant. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13 to 14. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he couldn't swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will bless you. Why did God make this covenant, and why did he swear to Abraham that I will keep that covenant? Only for one reason. Because our human nature is to doubt God. Our human nature is to question God. And God is saying to Abraham, I swear I will keep this promise so that Abraham will rise to the challenge of believing. Everything about our Christian faith revolves around believing. And God can make these fantastic covenants, but unless we believe what that covenant is, we will not receive the blessing that's wrapped up in that covenant. And God used Abraham. God Almighty, the God of this universe, the God that is holy, tied himself up to one single man called Abraham. With all his weaknesses, with all his failures, God took the chance. You know, we talk about us having faith with God. Have you ever thought about God having faith in you and me? Hello, are you with me? I mean, that's a bigger miracle than us having faith with, in God. And God is having faith in Abraham. Made a covenant with his weak human being. And says, through you... And this covenant I make, all the nations will be blessed. You know, uh, for God to associate his name to an individual speaks volumes. Isn't that true? And God said, God made himself known to the nations. Who is he? He's the God of Abraham. Just imagine someone asking you, who do you worship, the God of Victor? I mean, see, what's his name? His name is the God of, I'm just giving you an example, okay? Not that I'm claiming to be anything, but I'm just giving you an example. That's how God did it. He associated to an earthly name, a human being. He says, I will be the God the nations will, uh, will know through you. And not just the God of Abraham, but the God of J Isaac and the God of Jacob. And all the nations will say, hey, be careful of the God of Abraham. 
the nation stood apart because of what God would do through this generation of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God displayed His glory. He, he blessed them beyond measure to prove to the world who He is. Isn't that an amazing aspect of who God is? Why did God say the God of Abraham? Because Abraham and Sarah were old. I mean, really, really old. They never had a child, and God says, you will have a child. You talk about waiting for one year, and you're getting frustrated, and God is taking so long. Hey, look at Abraham. He waited for so, so many years, 99 years or something. He waited for so many years for a promise that God swore. I will do. I will come to pass. And Abraham must be thinking, God, when is it going to happen? You swore you did. God takes him up to the outside. He says, look up the stars. You know what God looking at stars for? So will your descendants be. I don't even have one there, but so will your descendants be. Why did God do it? God did it to that couple to prove to the world one thing, that nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. He waited patiently for them to look all that wrinkled and beautiful. That even Abraham looked at herself and said, what? She laughed, this is a joke, I'm going to be pregnant now at this time. And God says, yes, I will do it. Not just for Abraham and Sarah, but for the nations to know. And there are people who still look at Abraham and say, if God can do it for them, he will do it for me. That's why God did it. He made an example. He used that couple to prove nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Why did he associate himself with the God of Isaac? Because God wanted to prove to the world. He not only makes a promise, He is the fulfillment of that promise. The God of Isaac. And when they looked at Isaac, they would all say, Hey, He's the promised son. He's the result of Abraham's faith, not because of any biological uh, connections, but He's the result of God's promise. God kept His promise. Isaac spoke of the faithfulness of God. Now, if I was God, if I was God, I would have stopped at being the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. Jacob, please, not me. I mean, Jacob was a deceiver. He mastered the art of deceiving. He deceived his father. He deceived his brother. He deceived his uncle. He would deceive anyone to get the better of them. And there are Jacobs around. Don't put your hands up. There are Jacobs around. And I'm just talking about your surname being Jacob or your main name, Jacobs. You will scheme, you will do anything in order to get something done. Now, for, for Almighty God, the God who created this universe, associates himself to, them, to Jacob and says, I am the God of Jacob. Why? Why? You know, if you had a relative like that, you will disown him and say, no, he's not my relative. Am I right? Don't mention, no, 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 he's some far off distant, distant. Who made him? You made him distant. 
because <laughs> you think about bad reputation. As God of Jacob is a God of hope that even the most vilest man, the most crooked man, the most perverted man, God says, I'm able to transform his life and make him a prince. And when you look at the God of Jacob, it gives us hope. Because at one time in our lives, we were all there. We were masters at deception. Turn to someone and smile at them. See, he's talking about me. Turn, turn, turn. Don't give me that sanctified look as if you don't know what I'm talking about. See, he's talking about me. I mean, we have mastered the art of deception. When we talk about graduating from college, we've graduated in deception more than our college. We have forgotten our lessons in college, but we have never forgotten the way we deceive people, dispel the principle. I am talking to you and to myself. I had my PhD in deception. Never mind. We use deception to survive. But that same crooked man had an encounter one day with God. That name Jacob in itself means deceiver. And if you have a child, please don't name him Jacob. Choose any other name. But, he, but God took that man called Jacob. He was even born holding on to his brother's heel. I mean, just born. Born with that to, to grab. When he met with God, God changed his name to Israel. And Israel means prince with God. What hope? What hope? A man that would have been discredited. A man now a prince. Prince not of the world. A prince with God. And God blessed Abraham. So God blessed Jacob. So when we talk about covenants... We're talking about a covenant that God made with one man that affected the generations. That the people in the world, when they worship the God of Abraham, it gave them hope. When they worship the God of Isaac, they knew that God would fulfill what he had promised. When they worship the God of Jacob, they, it gave them destiny. It gave them a new name. It gave them a new identity, a new beginning in their lives. So no one is discredited when it comes to God. Now when it comes to the New Testament, God did the same thing. He chose one man. He made a covenant with that man. A man that was a mere human being. His name is called... You're confused now because I said man. But I want you to know that as much as Jesus was God, he was equally man. He came into this world as a man. He, he messed up his nappies. Did you know that? You thought he was so holy, he didn't make poo in his panties or pant. He, he did all of that because he was a human being. He slept like you and me. He was hungry. He ate like you and me. He had a normal human life. And God says, he will be the man that will represent humanity. I will make a covenant with him. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews, Jesus was a man that went through temptation that was common to all of us. He knew what temptations were. Went through every kind of temptation. 
God made a covenant with Jesus as man who was perfect till the end. And through the covenant that God made with, with Jesus, the nations will be blessed. Nations will be blessed. That's why the open invitation is, if anyone call on the name of Jesus, they will be saved. Anyone put their faith in Jesus will be saved. Salvation. There's hope for the nation. Whichever category you are in, whichever race you are in, there's hope. Just as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob believed that covenant, and all the nations believed, the nation of Israel believed that covenant. We're called to believe that covenant that God made with Jesus. What is in that covenant? I'll quickly read a few scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. Behold, the days are coming, the days of the New Testament, says the Lord. I will make a new covenant, not the covenant of the old, but a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers like Abraham, like Moses and, and all of them. He says, not like that covenant in that day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. He says, in spite of making a covenant, they didn't believe the covenant and they were disregarded. He says, I went there to rescue them, but they didn't believe. It goes on in verse 10. For this is the covenant. This is relevant to us today. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind. Now, when you give your life to Jesus, God writes his law in your mind and write them on your heart. Let me ask you a question. The day you gave your life to Christ, no one told you lying was wrong. No one told you your addictions were wrong. How many of you felt convicted when you did it? Put your hand up. The rest of you are not yet born again. Make an altar call here. Isn't that true? Where did that conviction come? Where all of a sudden you had an awareness of what is right and what is wrong. You felt miserable on the inside. Because at the day you gave your life to Christ, there was an inner conviction that what you did was wrong. I still remember this. You know, I was a very hard-hearted man. Hard means hard as rock. Never cry, never, you know, feel for people. The day I gave my life to the Lord, it was amazing what God did in my Suddenly I became one softy. Something happened in my heart. I saw a beggar in my, uh, sitting at this imperial hotel on the way to college. Suddenly I was so moved with compassion. I went to that beggar, picked him up, put him in the restaurant and said, what do you want to eat? And sat and ate with him. Never did it after that. Why? Because now I've grown mature in the Lord. I'm glad you laughed. You know, how many of you did things like that when you were new? You didn't mind going to your neighbor. You didn't mind going and talking to someone about Jesus. And then for whatever we call maturity, we stopped doing those things. 
Because we lost the stirring in our heart of what God has done. The peace and the joy. The transformation that God brought in our hearts. And this is transformation. He will write his laws on your heart. And he will always you know, write it on your mind. That's why when people say, is this right and is this wrong? I already know they know the answer. They're just checking with me. But you know already what is right and what is wrong. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And look at what else this covenant is about. Hebrews 8.12 For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Now in the Old Testament, God took sin very, very seriously. I'm not saying he didn't, does not take sin seriously. In the New Testament, he's equally serious. He doesn't change. But God says he will be a little more merciful towards us. To the, their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. God says, I will forgive them and I will remember no, no more their lawless deeds, their sin, their rebellion. What hope? You know, for us in the new covenant, we receive God's forgiveness. What do we do? Say it again. We you know, you, that's an open invitation. What is the difference between a person who's an atheist, a person who's uh, just rebellious against God and us? One thing. We received God's forgiveness. They didn't. This morning, I guarantee you, if you receive the forgiveness of God, it's in the covenant. And you say, Lord, Jesus, you stood in my place. You took my, my paid the sacrifice for my sin. And because of that, I receive forgiveness for the worst thing that I've ever done in my life. You will experience the peace of God right now in this morning service. I hear some amens. What about the others? Are you hungry? I'm not talking about you begging and asking for forgiveness. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. And God says, I will be merciful. You don't have to punish yourself for what you've done. You may have committed adultery. You may have betrayed your friend or betrayed your wife. God says, you come to me and in my covenant, I show you forgiveness. You can receive that forgiveness. Start all over again. What hope? The God of Jacob. Now the God of Jesus. The Lord, Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Covenant that he's made. Gives us the assurance of our forgiveness. When we believe. And I find sometimes as Christians we forget the covenant. The covenant that God made. He's merciful. He's forgiving. And his laws are in our heart. And we must hold that dearly. You know, in the, in the covenant with Abraham, God bound himself with a human being, with Abraham and his generation. In the New Testament, through Jesus Christ, he binds himself with all of us. Do you know that we represent Christ wherever you go, in a good way or in a bad way? Because God has associated his name with you. Hello? That's why we're called Christ Yens. You know what that means? Christ Yens. We're followers of Christ, Christ Christians. 
That's where the name came from. Bound ourselves, tied ourselves with them. People are confused not because they, they can't understand God. They're highly confused because they can't understand Christians. You heard me? I'm glad no one said amen to that one. And it's true. Isn't it true? We're confused. We're disillusioned. Not because of who God is, but because who Christians are. And we look at them representing Christ in a terrible way. And we give up on God because of the lack of representation. But God ties himself with us. Associates himself with us. Because he's a God of hope. And he will restore. Look at Ephesians 5.29. God says this in his word. For no one ever hated his own flesh. But nourishes and cherishes it. He's talking about a human body. No one hates our own body. We nourish it. That means we feed our bodies, we take good care of our body, and we cherish it. We spend uh, quite a long time in front of the mirror. And we take people's opinions so seriously when they say something positive, they say, well, we cherish our body. And Jesus is saying, or the Bible is saying, just as the Lord does the church, comparison. The way we value our body and cherish it and nourish it, God says He does this to His church because we are His spiritual body. Do you know that God is for you? He wants to nourish us. Nourish us. And every time we break bread, it's a moment of nourishment. And not only breaking bread, in our relationship, it's in the covenant. He bound himself with us so that we will be nourished. He will he cherishes us. Let's read on. For we are members of his body. We're members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. That means the only flesh that God has is you and me. The only bones he has is you and me. And that's how deeply he has united himself with us. Because for a reason, he did that so that the world will know him and what he can do through our lives. Did you hear what I'm saying? Just the way God did, to, what God did to Abraham to let the world know that he is the God of Abraham. God wants to do that through you and me so that the world will know he is the God of Oh, the Christians. He is the God that still reigns. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? That's the way God, you know, God doesn't demonstrate his power by kicking the moon and turning it into red or taking the stars and shaking it up and saying, Hello, I am God. He doesn't do that. He doesn't sneak up at the side of your bed and say, Hello, I'm Jesus. He doesn't do that. How does God display His glory? He takes broken people. He takes people that's discarded from the world. He takes people that cannot do much. He uses them and He transforms them for the world to see His glory through an individual. That's why you are seated here. Because God in His covenant has chosen you for His glory to be revealed to you. Somebody get excited and shout an Amen. You didn't, you were not chosen to be part of the covenant to go to heaven. You were chosen so that the world will see the glory of God through you. 
When they look at I still remember when, when I gave my life to the Lord. Three years, I, physically, I hadn't uh, shown any signs of transformation. Whether you know it or like it or not, I had that long hair, it must cover my hair, cover my ears, my mustache was thick, and I would dress like that. And then a man saw me from the corner of the restaurant, and he saw me changed. My physical appearance didn't change. He just knew that I was a different man. He came over all the tables and he says, I can't believe it is you that God has touched. Even I couldn't believe it. He didn't know that. <laughs> Till today, it's a mystery why God called me to be a pastor. You know, look and say, God, it's just fun. Anyway, that's beyond my comprehension. Forget about yours. Well, that's his way of revealing his glory. So, that is far, far much more God wants to do through you. And people will stand and look. This man, that woman, written off, your family members will stand aside and say, Hey, he's changed. He's changed because it's God's way of revealing his glory to them. Verse 32 says, this is the great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So it says, look, I'm not talking about your physical body. I'm talking about Christ and the church, the unity that God has with his church. Remember when Saul went around persecuting the church. Remember that story? Somewhere in the book of Acts. He was riding on his horse and he got knocked off. No, that's one way of God catching his attention. What did God say to Saul? Why do you persecute? Who? Was he persecuting Jesus? He didn't even know it. He was persecuting the church. But Jesus revealed to him and spoke to him. You touch the church, you're touching me. Do you believe that? God will rise to our defense. Because we're united with Christ. We're one with Christ. I want to show you this oneness, how deep it is. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 to 16. Look at the comparison that the Bible gives us. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Don't you know that your hands belong to Christ? Your legs, your body, your mind belongs to Christ. Don't you know it? Don't you know that when you joined the covenant, believed in the covenant, you became part of God? Your members, your body are members of Christ. Shall I take the members of Christ and make them a members of a whole harlot? Question mark. That means indulge in sexual promiscuity. Shall you do that? The answer is certainly not. Or do you not know that he joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two he says shall become one flesh every time you have a sexual relationship with someone who is not your partner who's not your legal husband and wife, you're becoming one flesh, you're becoming one body with that individual. You're getting united, and that's why people go through trauma when they part ways. You can't take it casual. There is something spiritually that happens that binds two people together, and it's the sexual relationship. And that, that very act that binds two individuals together is what God picks up and he talks about our relationship with God. Let's look at verse 17 to 18. 
But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. When you join yourself physically or sexually with another person, you become one in body. But when you join yourself to God, believing in the covenant, believing in Jesus, you become one spirit. Your spirit, God's spirit, become one. How many of you believe that? It's time we believed it. That's true. There's a, there's a belonging. There is a knitting together of our spirit with God. And then it says, go flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Why did God make a covenant with us? That the world will be blessed. Isn't that amazing? You know, we have people here in this room. But we must have a world vision. The reason why God picked us is for a purpose beyond our imagination, but we must comprehend it. Just the way he used an, a family to bless the nations and to prove that he is God, he's chosen you to bless the nation and to prove to the world that he is God. Every time you lead a person to the Lord, you're making the world a better place. You're blessing the world. Every time you see the cycle of poverty broken over an individual, you bring a blessing to the world. Every time you see people being healed spiritually and emotionally and physically, you bring a blessing to the world. And that's why when you become a Christian, one fundamental thing must change. And that one thing is we no longer take us, but we are givers to the world. Because we are called to bring a change in this world. How many of you are with me? Do you want to sign up for this one? And that's why we break bread. We break bread because it's a reminder of who God is. It's a reminder of who we are. And it's also a reminder of our purpose of why God called us. That's why we break bread. Signing up and saying, God, we are in this covenantal relationship. We know that God will keep his end of the bargain. We need to believe God to manifest that in our, in our lives. Everything that we need is in that covenant. Every blessing. And we receive it by believing.